Uh, hi, everyone. Welcome to the Commentarians. Is this Prairie Home Companion? Husband Bulge is now a part of my permanent vocabulary. <laughs> I saw a squirrel. I am going to point out real quick, this to me is like the most disturbing scene in the entire movie. Stop listening right now and go watch Firefly. Hey, this is my podcast. I'm sorry, sorry, Joe. <laughs> We are saying that not only have we been wounded, we survive, and there's a God who heals of these wounds. Jesus isn't about the isms. Uh, he's about his kingdom. Because it is kind of like this idea that Jesus died for all of our sins, except when you have sex. And Jesus doesn't cover that. Hello, and welcome to The Commentarians. I'm Joe. I'm Emily. And I'm Nathan. And we're here to talk over your movies. Uh, so you guys already, if you guys heard the uh, coming attractions uh, episode, you know what's going on. We're going. To, we're about to watch Frida, uh, directed by, oh, should have had that information out in front of me. That's how professional I am. <laughs> uh, directed by Julie Taymor uh, from 2002. And, uh, I don't know, what do you guys, uh, do you guys have anything to, to, to say about it before we get started? Um, I'm going to get this out of the way. I love the colors in this movie. It and, is amazing. And, and I need to say that up front. And I also need to say up front, I may say that several times. Yeah. I am a sucker for any time I'm watching a movie and any time there's a there's a anytime you like cut to a new scene and that cut could just be a picture you'd frame on your wall yeah um that's that's i eat that up and uh like the royal tannenbaums that is one of my favorite movies for that exact reason because it, it because there's so many cuts where it's like you start a scene you're like i would put, hang that on my wall and not only that it they say so much and this movie does a fantastic job a framing shot so that they just they say like you know like the picture's worth a thousand words mm -hmm. you get that in so many places here yeah um there's these uh instagrams and twitters where they just put in uh screenshots of movies you can mm -hmm. have a you know an instagram of just west west anderson movies of screenshots from his movies cuz he's just perfect at that and i think that i think that although I think we were talking about this off mic, but uh, we're not real fans of Julie Taymor's other work. <laughs> but I think she's <laughs> no. very good at this also. It's fair. Yeah, it's it's a beautifully shot movie, and but the the content of the movie. I mean, Frida's just fascinating, just for her time in in the art world and in her culture. And I think that you know she makes a good subject with lots of dynamics, and we've got we're going to have some good conversations. Around yeah. her, and and not just around the movie, but around Frida as a person herself. Yep, absolutely. All right, so uh, you guys know the deal. Uh, we're going to be talking about this movie uh, as we're watching it. You guys can watch along with us and listen, or you can just watch it on your own, or listen to the podcast on your own and without watching the movie, and you'll have pretty much the same experience because uh, you don't need to be watching the movie. Uh, if you are, I will inform you guys. It is rated R for language and nudity. Um, and so, 
yeah, so I'll let you know if you guys uh, need me to tell you. I'll let you know when the nude scenes are coming up. There's actually a prolonged one at the right at the beginning. Uh, that uh, that I'll just let you know if you guys want to look away, if you have an issue with that sort of thing. But uh, I'll do that for you. And we're going to be talking about, you know, all this stuff, nudity, uh, art, uh, politics, because that's all involved here. That's what this podcast is about, is discussing real life and how movies reflect it. And so I think we should get started. Well, yeah. Sounds are you good. guys ready? Ready when you are, Joe. Okay, so there's going to be a countdown. I'm going to say three, two, one, and play. And when I say play, everybody's going to press play, including you listeners at home. Uh, so let's get started. Three, two, one, and play. Okay. Right. Uh, there's wavy water for you guys at home listening to see, make sure you're uh, you're caught up. Miramax is fading in, uh, buildings fading out. Uh, film just popped up, so if you're synced up with us there, doesn't have to be synced up a hundred percent. I don't think anything happens. You know. You know we're we're not doing blow by blows. Um, <laughs> right. But the uh, yeah. Now just to quick note about the Miramax logo there. I think it's cool that it looks like the lights are going out one by yeah. one and building that logo. So that's its own form of art right there. Yeah. And there's that beautiful color that Nathan was talking about yes. earlier. Yeah. Uh, the, the blue house, um, quick note about the blue house. That's God. now a museum in Mexico city. Um, you yeah. can go there. God, look, and there's a peacock here. That's gorgeous. It, this whole movie is surrealist, uh, which uh, we were listening. We actually, we heard another podcast uh, to prepare for the movie called uh, Art School Babes, is it called? The Art History Babes. Art and, History uh, Babes. Yeah. Now, if you're not a fan of profanity, I uh, <laughs> I might steer you away. But I mean, there it's it's I love it. It's for art majors and they have their they all have their masters in art. Actually, they started as they were finishing their masters. And oh, then wow. they they finished their their masters in art during the podcast. They kind of had a celebration about that, which was great. Um, but it's basically they they sit around, they pick a they pick an artist or an art style. Um, sometimes they do color theory, and they sit around and drink wine and talk about it. It's, it's right. fantastic. <laughs> I love it. And yeah. so I got Frida being loaded into this truck. And from what I understand, this is kind of a embellishment of what actually happened. That she. Yeah. The bed was set up, and she was brought by ambulance to the um, opening that she, they're getting ready to go to. Yeah, so, yeah, so she's on her way to an opening, but we don't know that until the end. But, of course, we already seen it, so that's not a spoiler. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, this whole movie is super surrealist. Uh, what they were talking about in the podcast, the reason I brought it up, is because Frida is considered a surrealist artist, though she didn't mm -hmm. consider herself a surrealist artist. She was, and uh, Diego Rivera, uh, her husband or ex-husband, I don't remember if they ever uh, fixed that. Uh, uh, when when she that. passed, they were married again. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. yeah, so, go ahead. Real quick on the surrealist thing, uh, Frida was quoted as saying, they thought I was a surrealist, but I wasn't. I never painted dreams. I painted my own reality. Right. So, I don't and, know how we would classify her based on her self-assessment there. Heads up, folks, uh, nudity coming up. Avert uh, your gaze if you have a, uh, an issue with that, but there will be nudity for the next few minutes. <laughs> we'll try <laughs> to let you know away. when it's done. Yeah. Uh, Cover your yeah, eyes. <laughs> uh, Diego Rivera here is painting a nude, uh, and apparently he's having an affair with her, uh, as 
he Diego did. was having an affair with every woman he ever painted, pretty much. So every That's... every woman that he came across, I'm sure. <laughs> every woman that would <laughs> let him, I think. Yeah. And, Diego, uh, and I, they mentioned this later in the movie, but Diego had a doctor friend actually diagnose him as as unfit for monogamy, like physically unfit for monogamy. Jesus. Yeah. And of course, he he accepted that gladly. And uh, the movie's playing a little fast and loose here with um, Frida's age, because in real life, she was around 12 when these trips to Diego's artwork started, and she proclaimed that she was going to have Diego's baby. So she uh, was all over him yeah. from the beginning. Well, and, and what's funny is they, they mentioned this in, uh, no, it wasn't Art History Babes. There was another podcast I listened to. I can't remember the title of it, but there was another podcast they mentioned that Frida um, at the time was a big prankster. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of alluded to that a little bit here, but yeah. part of her being a prankster was um, Diego was not only painting murals, but apparently he was an instructor. And one of her pranks that she tried to pull was she she soaped the stairs hoping that he would fall down them oh um, geez yeah I, I, that's not that's not a prank <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. yeah so, that's a whole next level sabotage right there yeah but i mean uh, i but, guess they kind of they kind of had to play like with the age though because you're not going to get uh selma hayek to look much younger than she does in this scene this given her true. age when they shot this i mean yeah. not to say i mean that doesn't say i'm not saying she looks old i mean Selma Hayek, but you know, um, <laughs> you want to yeah, dig this hole a little deeper? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna stop talking, but you're not gonna get her look much younger than she is in this scene, yeah. And Diego was working at the school, this was part of the government's program to kind of reintroduce uh Mexican history to the to the populace. And the the at his time, Diego was painting these huge murals and he was really reinterpreting Mexican history because for like the 400 years before this, it had been revolution after revolution after revolution. Mm-hmm. And now they're, they're starting to re in what well, reinstill kind of the sense of pride for being Mexican yeah. and being from Mexico. And Diego was very much, uh, this was part of his message. And cause he, he was very well known. Among the European artists, he'd been in Europe and for quite a while studied with Picasso and uh, some other famous artists. And he was highly respected, but then he put away that side of his life to come back to Mexico and be a part of this political movement. Well, yeah, and he was part of the like that whole Cubist movement, uh, like mm-hmm. you mentioned with Picasso. Um, but you can actually still, I mean, even his, his murals, you can still see echoes of that in his work. And yeah. it's it's yeah. a really great, I think it's a really great uh combination of the two styles i actually okay, prefer okay, Diego's... Folks, you can you can look again sorry for interrupting but oh, no no, no joe. The sorry over. I, I feel like we're talking over you joe sorry go ahead no no not at all please keep talking yeah i was just gonna say um diego was actually a really good synergy of all of those things and i actually prefer his paintings to frida's usually mm-hmm. I, I didn't care for him much as a person but his work yeah. i think is superior that's and that's funny because I, I like I actually I, I like Frida's art better um, mm-hmm. what I've seen of it. It's to me, it tells now because here, uh, and here's kind of where it is for me. Frida's work uh, was more raw. You yeah, look yeah. at that and you can just like everything hits you. And a lot of Diego's work, because it was so centered around history and these murals of what was going on, um, you have to kind of know uh, where he where he was coming from. Yeah. Well, that's probably why Frida's stuff has endured, because uh, it is very universal. Diego's, you do have to be a little bit more familiar. So, 
Yeah, and yeah. I, I, honestly, uh, Frida, uh, it seemed like she was less talented. It seemed like she was doing low or uh, low art, but it's not. She was very, very talented, but she used the medium of low art to uh, to represent, like, as a as a style. Because right. a lot of Mexicans, like, you know, painted low art. It was considered low art. And uh, it just, it, she was actually echoing the voices of the people. Right. It, I mean, you can see her skill in some of her arts, but in some of her work where it's that more realistic, but it, she almost, it was kind of a subversive act of her, of her will to. Well, and talk about subversive here. She steps out in the suit dressed as a boy yeah. for a family <laughs> portrait. <laughs> and so, uh, and her father, 100%. Now, did she have, did she have any brothers? I don't believe she did. I think it was all girls. No. So I kind of yeah. wonder if maybe that her father kind of was hoping for a boy. I don't know. I, I don't know any of that family <laughs> history. I was kind of wondering. I know that's kind of a common thing, or it's getting less common. But, you know, it's kind of... At that time, Traditionally, yeah. you know, families would hope to have a boy. And if they wouldn't, there'd be that one girl that the dad kind of took under their wing. Right. And, uh, you know, and she did play with that androgyny for a bit. And she, even like the unibrow that she's kind of mm-hmm. famous for... People debate as to whether it, she really had it that prominent or not, but I think her father had a unibrow, and she really, you know, kind of uh, painted it into herself uh, in, in her art when she did self-portraits as kind of an ode to him because uh, she felt so connected to her father. I, I didn't realize that aspect of it, but I know in 2004, when they opened up her closets, they found the pencils that she used to darken her eyebrows and her, that mustache even. So <laughs> that debate's kind of laid rest. So yeah, uh, point, yeah, well, point, point of trivia here. Um, here they were just, they were being, they were late. Um, she actually, um, uh, according to the story, she forgot her uh, parasol where they were at and they went back. So they were not actually on the bus that they should have been on, which right. is why they were in one, why they were in such a big hurry. Uh, but two would put them on the bus that crashed. Yeah. And then and, we have this beautiful bit right here with the oh gold Oh, my goodness. Dust. Yeah, like this I said. Is, go, go ahead. Go ahead, Joe. No, no. Well, well I'm saying that uh, she didn't consider herself a surrealist. This is very much a surrealist movie. Like, you don't... It, this whole movie is very much like a, like a dream. And it's so beautifully done how the director actually intertwines reality and this dream state to create, uh, you know, this, the feeling of her of her artistic talent in mm-hmm. re, in, rea- in her reality. Yeah. And now uh, a lot of you who, uh, who are watching here are probably going to think this gold dust thing was just kind of uh, for the shot. But apparently the laborer, the painter who was taking that, that gold dust, he was on the bus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also you see this as slow. And uh, we also might think this is supposed to be slow motion, but the, uh, the accounts from Alejandro, mm-hmm. her, her boyfriend. Yes. Was that, Everything was moving very slowly. It's just that trolley car couldn't stop, and basically it bent until the the bus broke apart. And so her covered in gold dust like this um, apparently actually happened, and the the blood made it stick to her body. Yeah, and she just this shot just looks like a painting. It's mm-hmm. gorgeous. Yeah, it's beautiful. And again, that crash is what uh, is going to last. It's you know it's going to affect her for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. Just the well, damage that it did to her body. Yeah. 
So and and apparently like her right leg was already messed up before that because she had had polio as a child. So her right leg uh, was her like companion through life that just uh, fueled her suffering and and furthermore her art through through the rest of her life. Yeah. So go ahead. I was just going to this fun bit of animation with all the skeletons and skulls and uh, kind of what she was experiencing from her point of view. And all of those were drawn from her paintings and, and kind of brought to life for us there. Yeah. Um, I, I did want to talk a little bit about that uh, Day of the Dead kind of thing yeah. uh, that Mexico does, because I think in American Christianity, they often like look down on that idea because it almost sounds like they're worshiping the dead. They're, you know, giving all, they're building altars to the dead. And it seems, I think they may here in America, because they don't understand it, they make a connection to, uh, you know, uh, paganism because in the Bible, the pagans would actually carve and, and, and tattoo themselves to honor the dead. Right. Uh, but in, in Mexico, I mean, the reason why there is a day of the dead, the reason why they put make altars for the dead is because it's a third world country. They live with death, uh, you know, all the time. And they're, they don't have the luxury of putting, you know, the elderly in convalescent homes. So a lot of times people's parents and grandparents and great grandparents live with them and they often die in their own home. So mm-hmm. Mexicans live with death constantly, and so they can either cry about it, or you know celebrate it, or ma- or make a, a a mythology around it, and that's why they have that Day of the Dead kind of skeleton art and paintings and drawings, because they're almost embracing it because there's they have to, because they do live you, with it so often. Do you think it's kind of uh, uh, as well? as well, they're embracing it. That's also kind of that separation, that, that delineation that, okay, yes, this person is dead and now we have to move on with life, but we kind of have to have the celebration to put that in the proper perspective. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the case, I think, because again, here in America, we live kind of a privileged life, which again, that's not a, a bad thing necessarily, but we can distance ourselves from death. We can ignore it. And, and in Mexico, you can't. Oh, yeah. And then Frida, very much, she's living in the center. And she's kind of living on that line for so long because they didn't expect her to live. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so Was she... it for the for the first 30 days, they didn't expect her to make it. They were still uncertain even when they sent her home if she was going to live. Yeah. So she kind of inhabited that, that world between worlds for a long time. And during that first 30 days when she was in the hospital, it's interesting, you know, her mother only visited her twice during that time. So that kind of gives you an idea of her relationship with her mother. And I think that played a big part in her um, development and view of her own role as a woman. Yeah. So a a couple of things real quick. Um, You're talking about Joe, you're talking about like living around death. Um, That was, and I I feel like Emily and I have like a slightly different view of death than a lot of people in America, because we, one, we grew up on a farm and, Mm -hmm. um, we had we had this wonderful um, creature come around our place um, called Cat, and she <laughs> she had one mission in life, and that was to repopulate the world with more and more cats. <laughs> she, I don't know how often cats can have kittens, but she doubled it, and um, so it got to the point, like literally growing up, where sometimes there would be 
we'd had so many kittens that we'd get ready to go and like we'd hear and they're dead kitten and so the the thought was not like oh no a kitten died the thought was oh, i gotta bury another kitten so <laughs> i think emily and i have a different um relationship with death than a lot of people yeah um, well and we've been present at how many like relatives people that we loved their actual deaths yeah and participated I, so yeah I, I've, I've been in the room when at least two people have died and um you know and i will say this and this is kind of a this is kind of an aside there is a weird peace mm-hmm. that ha- that occurs to you when when it finally happens. Yeah, um, absolutely. especially if it's someone who's been suffering. Um, and it's one of those things that's very bizarre. It's a weird peace. It's a weird, it's a weird emptiness, and it's this quiet, still place that just happens. And and so I don't want to go too much into that. Um, but uh, another thing that uh, just another thing I want to mention is I was listening to another uh, show and one of the things they were talking about was dealing with issues is when we deal with them head on, they become less of an issue. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's interesting with, uh, we know here in America is tragedies happen and, and we're like, Oh, well now we have to take uh, a month off of work and we have to go see professionals, which I'm not saying don't see professionals, but at the same time, um, I remember growing up that death was so much a, a thing because we had, we had relatives who had health issues that we knew at any moment they could go. Um, for many, lots of pastors in our family. Lots of pastors in our family. Um, at any moment they could go, so we were very much around that all of our lives. And I remember um, being told. Uh, I just remember relatives looking at me going, "Like it's okay to cry," and I'm like, "But I don't need to. They're not suffering anymore, and I am thankful for that." And so, you know, that's 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 kind of a, a weird thing uh that weird perspective that emily and i bring to the table so yeah death is not scary i think large part of that is not only our familiarity but then our faith and yeah. so and frida always had this very ambiguous faith um you know diego was a staunch atheist mm-hmm. and she never really defined her faith um as far as i know but then for her to live in that weird in between life and death so much of her life. Um, I think that's what her artwork really brings to the table is kind of struggle. Yeah. yeah. And it, it doesn't really go into her faith in the movie much, but I, from what I was listening to with different podcasts and some different research, it seems like she kind of lived not so much as an atheist, but uh, actually somewhat deliberately defiant of, of the idea of deity and like, Hey, you've made my life so terrible. I'm going to do the best I can to enjoy it. Well, her mother, she says her mother arrived to at hysteria through religion. And so she had this very animos, you know, animosity-filled relationship with her mother. So there's a good possibility that kind of played into uh, religion belonged to mom. Mom wasn't cool. Dad was. Dad mm-hmm. seemed to be more analytical. I, and that's just pure speculation. But sometimes those kinds of things can have an impact. Yeah, and also if you're uh, if you are proud of your country, if you're Mexican and you're proud of your country, it's very difficult to separate Catholicism from being Mexican, because it is so intertwined in the culture, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, I do think that Catholicism, especially Catholic imagery, plays a big part in Mexican art. Whether you're, I mean, Diego Rivera could not separate it himself as he intertwined it in some of his murals. And Frida especially 
added a lot more of Catholic imagery into her art as, you know, because it is such a deep part of the culture. Absolutely. And every artist is going to bring whatever is around them into their work, either consciously or subconsciously. Mm-hmm. And Well, that's where you get into like, uh, where you were talking about the covenant of symbols. Um, and uh, Joe, are you familiar with that concept? The, uh, which the, one? The covenant of symbols. No, I don't think uh, so. There's with with artists and Emily can probably explain it better, but apparently with with like with art and artists, there's what they call the covenant uh, nudity, of symbols. Nudity uh, coming soon, guys. Sorry, sorry. But yeah, just a few seconds. Away. Yeah. Um. So anyway, there's what's called the covenant of symbols, which is okay, and we're done with the nudity. Yeah, nudity's gone. Sorry. Where whenever you choose to put something in a piece of artwork, you choose something that the viewer is going to understand that represents something that they're familiar with. And so even though Diego may have been atheist, he's still going to select icons that people recognize. Yeah. And an artist can, can tweak it. They can add dimension and layer to it, but fundamentally the symbol itself has integrity. And if you violate, violate that integrity, then you're violating that covenant between the artist and the viewer. So you were going someplace with the covenant of symbols. Uh, no, I mean, that was that was really mainly it. It's just that you were talking about u- the use of religious mm. icons, um, okay. even in Diego's work where he was a staunch atheist, that he still used religious symbols because the people he was trying to reach with his message would understand what those symbols meant. And he could use the symbols that exist uh, to teach people, you know, kind of like uh, the the apocryphal legend of St. Patrick and the, the shamrock, you know, it's one leaf, but it's three parts or, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, and again, if you're a real artist, as Diego was, as Frida was, no matter how much you hate the religion, you can't deny its importance into in your culture. You know, right. I mean, you'd be doing your art a disservice and yourself a disservice by denying something that's so important to the people that you represent. Yeah. Yeah, and and you have to be using something that they, that your audience understands yeah. or you're wasting your time. Mm-hmm. And they got that and they that was what made them so successful I think in so many ways. They they took these symbols that were so familiar and then they used them to teach a new lesson, a new ideology and or even one that everyone already knew, like Frida, and we're going to get to this in the movie with her miscarriage um, paintings. Any woman who's had a miscarriage, that those are like just disturbingly profound uh, yeah. because it's a taboo subject. And that, I think that's what Frida really did was talk about a taboo subject, which was the intimacy. Because in, in proper society, you don't talk about things that matter, and you keep it all very surface level. And Frida kind of rejected that mm-hmm. well and, and like you were talking about when we watched this especially during that time um you know grieving the miscarriage was was not something you did specifically with, with unborn children so but let's uh where are we at right now she's taking her paintings to diego and she's demanding that he come down off his scaffolding which nobody did that to the great diego rivera <laughs> how yeah. dare she <laughs> And so, and I love, I love her audacity. That is one thing that I find fascinating about her. It's so counter to what a woman of this time period should have been. Yeah. And yeah. and I love the fact that in this, she like hangs her cane up and then like stands in front of it 
before she walks to him that that I mean you can see like you can see that she's smart and actually um I don't I don't think the movie mentions this but she was like pre-med she was in she line could have to, been a doctor yeah yeah she was ready to be a doctor she was very sharp and so yeah that's you know just that calculated move of you know I'm not going to show you that you know I need a cane to get around because I don't want you to feel sorry for me she's yeah. she's wanted to present a lot of strength that is a nice touch that the director did is that that she doesn't really talk about it but that just that little touch says a lot yeah and that's that's one of the things you know coming 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 uh from the world uh, from the perspective of someone who's a huge comic book fan um one of the things that you know every medium kind of has their strength and being able to say so much with a shot like that where she hides the cane you know, you're not going to get something like that from comic books, but, you know, you kind of have every medium has their strength where the comic books, you can see what people are actually thinking. Um, so, but I think that's kind of interesting. That painting right there was the one she sent to Alejandro. And that was probably the most flattering self-portrait she ever did. Uh, but it was met with the one intention of winning him back. Uh, after this, she gets brutal with her images of herself. So I just yeah. wanted to point that out because it, it is a beautiful painting. Yeah, for those not watching, uh, it's just a self-portrait that makes her... She is very beautiful in it, and it is just a very famous painting of herself. And, you know, again, she was a beautiful woman, but she wasn't all about, you know, like making herself look beautiful in her painting. She didn't feel beautiful because of the pain that she was dealing with. Well, and, and even... Um, I don't know. It, her father doesn't say this in the movie, but apparently... Um, when Diego and her got married, her father said, you know, she's not pretty, but she's smart. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I think she, she still was a very, you know, good looking woman. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, her portraits definitely portray more of the emotion and more of a self image rather than a true image of herself. Yeah. And I guess not, not to talk about how important beauty is because you know every you know i, I don't know i don't i don't want to say the wrong thing about beauty but okay maybe... i'm a woman and i think <laughs> acknowledging beauty is a good thing whether right. it's a person a thing and there there's always beauty to be found are we smart yeah. enough to see it so okay continue joe right. sorry and, no, well and well, i would say without beauty we wouldn't have art but go ahead no but what i wanted to say is maybe she wasn't as classically beautiful beautiful physically uh, you know physically as as society would have would you know would demand but i think what makes us believe that she was so beautiful is her audacity her her pride her you know her strength is just such a beautiful thing that it comes through in photographs and you know well and that's, pictures and that's of true her. that's true but also the other thing is look at beauty standards and what they would have been in the uh you know 19 what 1930s uh, she would have been, you know, yeah, she was born in 1907, so the 19, late 20s, early 30s. You didn't have the uh, super uh, supermodel thin as your ideal of beauty. Right. Well, and, and she she had this crazy bloodline where she did have the Mexican, uh, but then her father was European. So she was a quote, I, no one stoned me for saying this, a mixed breed. Um, and so still in a society and era where that was a thing that could be pointed out and used against her. And yeah. so, because Mexico City was very Europeanized at this point, and we had a lot of people from France and England and other countries who were coming to study and 
Well, and not only to study, not only just to study, but there were a lot of political refugees mm -hmm. at the time because Mexico City was very welcoming to people outside of, you know, who were being oppressed by other countries at the time. That, that, that's what's so amazing about the 1930s is Paris, New York, uh, Berlin, and Mexico City were hubs of arts, of the arts. Yes. Artists from all over the world went to those cities, just, you know, leapfrogging from city to city. And so, yeah, Mexico City invited artists from all over the world and S. Scott Fitzgerald, Picasso, uh, Hemingway, uh, you know, artists and painters and, you know, filmmakers and uh, writers just went to all these towns or the, all these major cities. And uh, it was just really a truly uh, a city filled with artists and art and write and, you know, and writings. Well, and the other thing I wanted to say about Frida's looks, she presented herself well. And yeah. any woman who's considered beautiful knows that trick. And even <laughs> one of her students um, points out that the flamboyant clothing, the, the long skirts, the jewelry, all of this was meant to hide the fact that she was a cripple. And that was his words, not mine. But it was all camouflage. And she, just like hiding that cane, she put forth this very fierce front when she was among the crowds. And the vulnerability was saved for the war artwork. And so that's, that's very oh, important. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. She, and I love her style. I mean, it, it's just it, Yeah, it's gorgeous. unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's great. I just want to break in for just a second. Um, to anyone listening out there, mm -hmm. um, if you hear uh, some yelling um, like that in the background, <laughs> um, just let you know, uh, we are recording at my house. So my daughters are, uh, they're getting ready for bedtime and that sometimes gets a little noisy. Um, so I apologize. They are loved. They're not being abused. Sorry. Let's carry on. <laughs> now, uh, I want to talk about politics here. We, we don't want to talk about politics as like, you know, one side is good and one side is bad. But it, we can't talk about Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo without bringing up communism. Right. And I think that with this podcast, we're trying to talk about Christianity, culture, our own lives. And forgive me if, for bringing this up, but a lot of people are talking about Christianity and socialism. And I think that it bears discussion because when else is socialism going to come up again in this podcast? Um, but a lot of people with you, are with you arguing, new, Joe, it'll never happen. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but let, 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 let's talk about that just to at least bring it up, discuss it for a bit. But Jesus and socialism, conservatives say no, liberals say yes. I would argue he was not a socialist. It's, it's, silly to make that and again i'm very very left wing and i i would love it if jesus was but i i think that yeah he he just wasn't it's the 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 spirit of giving is what jesus was he he gave the idea of sacrifice and giving and helping others is what's important not this political idea right and he, he was about uh giving from your heart because you wanted to serve and not giving uh under compulsion, right. you know, because I can, you know, I can point a gun at any person in the world and tell them to give me a thousand bucks. And as long as they don't have a gun and as I'm not going to do this, I'm just saying um, I, for anyone out there, I'm not threatening anyone as long as no. they don't have a gun. And as long as they don't have armed security and, you know, there's just me and them um, or, you know, they're going to do that. That does not make them a charitable person. 
<laughs> you know, or and that doesn't call that doesn't make the situation socialism. Or I mean, or uh, you know, the positive version of socialism. It's, right. It's, well, I'm just I'm just saying under compulsion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jesus. Jesus was not about doing it under compulsion, and I'm, I'm, I I use the extreme the gun there. No, no, uh, of course, yeah, because uh, that's the only way I could force anyone to do anything. Yeah. Um, because I'm not a very strong person. Um, don't rob me. But <laughs> the uh, you know, it's <laughs> sorry, but you know, it, or if there's a law that you're going to be thrown in jail if you don't, you know, give, give to yeah. a certain cause or say a certain thing, um, you know. Then that's different than than giving someone kind words or giving someone your money because hey I see a need and I want to fill it. That's a totally different thing. Yeah. Um. And again, Christians get a bad rap about about uh, giving and you know because again many Christians are conservative and they are against social programs that might help. That's how liberals see them. But let if we're being honest, Christians give you know even the most conservatives christian the most conservative christian gives a lot of themselves monetarily and in help and everything i i I know several uh, you know i i don't know it's it's just something that they don't talk about but right and then and and, although they might have go ahead Go ahead. Well, yeah, and that's the, you, you're talking about, and that's exactly w- what you were saying. There's not something there to talk about. That's something that I was going to mention, was because there are also people that I know that do things for people, spend time helping their neighbor. They they give their neighbor money. It's not a tax write off. You can't track that, and they don't mention it to anyone because they believe very thoroughly in that word Jesus said, "Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing," kind of thing. Yeah. And they're like, this is just, I'm giving this, don't tell anyone, it's not a big deal, this is just what God told me to do, and I'm just being obedient, and they don't want a pat on the head, they don't want a tax write-off, they just want to obey. And it's very relational, and it's mm-hmm. dictated by the relationship with Christ, and it's the relationship they have with that person, and it's something done in obedience, not done to a um, satisfy a law. And I, I want to point out real quick, that last little scene there with the dance scene with Frida and the woman, that's our first hint that Frida is going to Im- be involved in some lesbian relationships. And it's interesting, there was some thought that maybe even as a teenager, she was seduced by somebody who worked in a library, and that influenced her later on, because Frida was very much known for being bisexual in a time when that was kind of unheard of, paving the way there for some interesting developments so yeah but but yeah um but as far as did joe do you have anything else on the socialism thing no i just wanted to point that out because uh it's just something that is out there in the zeitgeist that i feel should be discussed i mean it it, yeah so so i I didn't want to like feel like i was just like totally taking over your point if you if uh, no no of course i want to hear what you have to say on it yeah, that's why I brought it up. It's, you know, it's it's about giving, not not making the government give. I mean, the the uh, the church in Acts that everybody points to about being socialist, that was in a in an oppressive, you know, theocracy. And right. they were they created this little society within themselves, and it wasn't about making the government socialist. It was about we we're giving because we want to give and help. Well, what's interesting is that's the only church that Paul consistently takes up a, a offering for to support them is the church in Jerusalem. 
everybody else who's not involved in that kind of uh, collective society, they don't have that same problem. So in Jerusalem, where they try this, that's where Paul's having to go to Corinth and all the other places and say, hey, give to support the Church of Jerusalem. So, and it's also interesting in the movie that Diego, he betrays his socialist leanings time and time again. Right. And I mean, you even see that kind of in the decadence of the party they were in. I mean, that that was a lot of, quote, wasted wealth that could have gone to help someone else. But when it comes to politics, um, you know, I and I I don't I don't want this to be a conversation killer. But where I always (laughs) land is Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. Any any kind of uh, kingdom you've seen, any kind of country you've seen, that's not what my kingdom looks like. And so whether it's socialism, capitalism, uh, uh, you know, whatever you have, communism, you know, Jesus isn't about the isms. uh, He's about his kingdom, and it's not what we will ever experience here on Earth. Yeah, exactly. And then we have this very pretty scar. Yeah, probably more gracious to the scarring than what it really was. Yeah, that does not look at all like the kind of scar that would have come out of that wound. And I'm also I I also am skeptical about the fact that there's not any Nudity other scarring. <laughs> I don't think you actually see anything. Diego's no. got big hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she was she had her body was just ruined in that wreck. Uh, her yeah. collarbone, ribs, pelvis, right leg. Uh, she had bones broken in over 30 places. Yeah, and... Her spine was fractured in at least three places. I don't remember the exact number, but it uh, was, I mean, and, and for, a, for a spinal injury, for her to even be walking at that time, that's incredible. Like, basically, the fact that she was alive was a miracle. Yeah. And I really think in this scene, you're kind of getting a flavor of their relationship. Uh, Diego was uh, 40-something years old. Frida had just turned, what, 19 or so? If I remember right, she was 21 and he was 41 when they got married. So If I remember correctly, that could be wrong. Correct us uh, if we're wrong. Sorry. And so major age difference. And so she's kind of the, you know, the spark, the joy, kind of bringing him back to life. Um, and she, whatever reason, she had some staying power because Diego, Diego was not faithful to any woman. When he and Frida got together, this was his third marriage. And actually it was really his only his second because his quote second marriage was they were just simply living together. It was a common law marriage. They hadn't actually gone through the ceremony or legalities. Right. And they actually made, uh, they made, a. uh, like a pact, they basically said, we're going to be together basically as like just best friends that live together. And they called it a marriage, but they also said that they were never going to be sexual again. That's, they never, apparently never slept with each other after they got back together. Yeah. That was after they moved into the house. At this point, they're still going out like rabbits. So. (laughs) (laughs) And. Maybe, I mean, I, do, we, do we want to talk about that now, about why artists are such scumbags? Hey, now. <laughs> Not you guys, of course. <laughs> pleasant pleasant company excluded, but I mean, he, Picasso. He says, he says to the painter and the musician. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I'm saying uh, Picasso, uh, Hemingway, 
you know, F. Scott Fitzgerald, uh, you know, these people are just awful, awful people who can't keep it in their pants. Uh, what is it with, and again, Diego Rivera, a very unattractive man, but he could, you know, attract the ladies. Like, yeah. It's a, he was 21 years older than her. Okay. Yeah, I, I think... You know, when you're, when you're doing art, one of the things that you're constantly looking for is you're looking for that next new thing, that next new sensation, that next new th- whatever it is that rocks you from head to toe. And that, that's not a pun, but sometimes that can be very accurate. And so you're always looking for a new new experience. And so we tend to, as artists go, we like alcohol, we like chemicals, we like uh all the sexual variety that's out there. And so to be an artist and to curb that is a constant battle because we want that new experience. And then art in and of itself, it's a very selfish endeavor. Uh, I think it's a worthwhile endeavor. Uh, but It can be a selfish well, endeavor. When I say it's selfish, I mean, you're very, you're very focused on you and what's going on inside of you. And you need the time and the space to create it. And, you know, ultimately, yes, you want to share it and it's supposed to go out, but you kind of have to, I think, particularly as a woman, you have to be very fierce about protecting your time and resources um, because we're expected to keep the house and watch the kids and blah, da, 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 da. And I think that's why you don't see a lot of successful women artists. I mean, obviously, Frida didn't have kids. George O'Keefe, no kids. Um, Almost every famous woman, you know, as an artist, no kids. Um, and always usually married to some kind of scumbag like Diego Rivera. So, um, yeah, I, I think that just the, the, the nature of art itself times kind of heightens those selfish tendencies. And so if you don't have a relationship with Christ to kind of keep you balanced or accountability with a partner who, who loves you and is able to pull you back, it's just easy to just slide off that cliff. Um, I think I could have slid off that cliff uh, several times. Thank God I didn't. Uh, but I also had kids to take care of. So uh, as you can tell, I've thought about this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> do we think it has any? Do you think maybe it has anything to do with the, the marketing thing? Because I also know a lot of people who are really successful in business who are the same way. Because they're just always on the offense about everything and they just don't have their own break. Maybe, because, I mean, artists do tend to grab a lot of attention. Well, in successful artists, one of the things that you have to, and as much as we hate to admit it, every artist just wants to go, I just want to be paid to create. But there is, every successful artist either has someone who can market for them, or they are just brilliant in their own way of doing it. And now we may call it an artistic expression, but ultimately it's kind of, it's, being able to get your message and your image in front of people's faces. Right. And those who just want to be paid to create usually die destitute. And it wasn't until after they, their death that suddenly their work, work is worth anything. See Van Gogh. Right. Whose sister-in-law actually marketed his work for him. And or... whose brother supported him his entire life. Exactly. So does that answer your question, Joe? Because... Yeah, I think it does. No, Sorry. We have yeah. two hypotheses. Go ahead. What's yours? Go. No, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I think that as creatives, we have a tendency to be egocentric. We believe, and I think we were talking about this uh, off mic or, you know, 
a few days ago. But creatives, um, they believe that they're geniuses. They believe that they're the greatest thing in the world. And I hear this in comics because I'm a huge comedy nerd. Comics believe that they're the funniest person on the planet. And that's why, you know, we get into this these discussions about, uh, you know, uh, writer's block and not being able to write because your ego is so big that nothing you create is as good as you think you are. And I I just think that, of course, a person like Diego Rivera, who has, is said to have not be very attractive, Gene Simmons, a very unattractive man, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, these uh, rock stars and painters and whatever, their passion is what makes them so you know, I, I don't know. So it's such, it's grab, it gravitates people towards them. Yeah. Well, and it's hard to resist of... at that point. And especially if your ego's so big, I can't stay with one woman. Are you kidding me? It's, I need this, you know, it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's not a real, you know, I don't think they truly believe it themselves, but it's, it's a convenient lie. And I'm on the other end of this from most uh, creatives is I can barely keep up with one woman. Uh, <laughs> yeah like well you've got one heck of a woman just to keep it pj because she's got it PJ? together pg oh i heard jay I like, What's, <laughs> um, pajamas yeah um so uh no i yeah so uh yes props uh shout out to my wife who has been very patient while we've been getting uh the revival of the commentarians off the ground as well as faith and other oddities it's been one technical difficulty after another and um many more weekends of recording than we expected but uh i'm not going to take up too much time with that so uh but yeah go ahead but no i think you know you spend your whole life as an artist shutting off that voice that limits you that you're, you're constantly fighting to quiet it so you can create and if you ever do it too successfully you wind up with diego rivera and you wind yeah. up with this overinflated sense of self with no control and yeah. no balance. Well, it's kind of funny. We were watching, actually last night, we were watching a, a documentary called The Life and Times of uh, Frida Kahlo. And one of the, um, one of her students said that uh, she was dating the, an artist. And uh, she said, Frida came to me and whispered in my ear, said, that um, if she married, I can't remember exactly, but basically if she said, if, if you marry this artist, you're going to be miserable the rest of your life. And she said on that day, she decided she was going to marry a baker. <laughs> and, and you see, and I wrote a paper over Georgia O'Keefe, who same time period of Frida, as Frida and hearing her relationship with her husband. That's why I decided two artists should never marry each other. It's a recipe for disaster. And I and right here in the movie, we're right back to a great <laughs> example. Uh, they've woke up from their yeah. You want to talk about selfish? He's eating this great breakfast, this beautiful meal. Frida's loving it, thinking her husband has created it for her. And no, it's his ex-wife has yeah. brought them this meal. And you know what kind of insensitive jerk? And I'm being gracious there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, feeds his wife a meal from his ex-wife. <laughs> I mean, you know, I know couples who the the new wife and the ex-wife get along fine and they hang out. But man, to spring this on someone on your honeymoon. And I don't know if this is apocryphal or if this actually happened. 
Um, but man, you want to talk about just missing the point of anything you're doing right here. This is it. Yeah. Cause she actually lives upstairs from them. Yeah. So. Yeah, to make to make things better, worse, better, <laughs> more intense, either way. That's why uh, one of the uh, things that aren't biblical that leads me to believe that monogamy is probably the way we're intended to live is I, you know, I grew up uh, a punk rocker. I let I read a lot of anarchist writings. Emma Goldman, a woman that I admire, an anarchist who did not believe in monogamous relationships was with a man who was not monogamous and she wanted to be monogamous. She believed in open relationships. She believed that, you know, the community should raise all children and that nobody should be with one person, yet she herself could not live that life. And I think that that's inside of us. We have this drive. I think that it's two things inside of every person fighting each other, that we need to stay together with one person, yet the physical drive of sexuality really makes it very difficult to, I don't know, to do that. And it, I don't know, it creates a lot more problems in my, in my experience, in my views and what I've seen and read. I mean, this, it's very difficult to maintain that. Anything else, anything other than monogamy. I just can't imagine dealing with more than one man's problems at a time. Yeah. So I, 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 it seems too exhausting. And, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to me. And I tell everybody, I just don't share well, uh, because believe it or not, I think a lot of Christians are unaware that um, open marriages are really quite prevalent today. And yeah. monogamy is not necessarily the assumed norm, even in a marriage today. And so having those conversations and uh, enlightening people, I, I know the first time I was approached by a married couple, I was just like, what? Uh, it kind of took me off guard because I grew up in the church. Nathan's looking at me funny. Um, but this is this idea that monogamy is important really is a Christian hallmark. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't think it's necessarily limited to Christianity. I'm like you, Joe, there, there's there's there must be a biological imperative somewhere in there uh, because it, I've seen just too many too many people have been destroyed by not adhering to monogamy. Sorry, yeah. my brain kind of... I'm, I'm looking <clears throat> at the, the, the movie while we're talking and Frida's drawing this, this gorgeous picture of Diego's ex-wife. And I, I can kind of imagine her trying to go through her emotions towards this woman and realizing that... Oh, yeah, okay, no, Z, sorry. Yeah, um, I, I, sorry guys. Um, let let's just drop that, and you know there's gonna be nudity. So okay, but, so yeah, Frida Frida's kind of ahead of her time here. She she's down with this open marriage at least on the surface, and even right there, she knew in this scene where the she's looking at this model, she knows what's up, mm -hmm. and she's playing it off because she's just a model. She she's not really that important. Frida's better than this woman. Well, and that actually, I mean, that kind of goes back to there is an attitude like it's kind of funny. You were telling me about the the series you were watching. Um, what was it? It was the the Hebrew series or the the Israeli series um, where they're they're oh Masad one hundred one Masad one hundred one where you're talking about the guy who's like the most devout in his uh, religious practices is the one who's always hanging out at the brothels because yes, there is kind of this idea that if it's if it is a sex worker, that it's okay. It's not really cheating. 
Yeah. And so yeah. that's kind of uh, the attitude that it seems like Frida kind of took with uh, with Diego and his his models. Yeah. And this uh, great photograph of Diego's work and all the nude models. And there's the one that uh, they were with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was I, just with. Oh, I, I was just. I, I've I've always been fascinated by human sexuality, and I've listened to podcasts with like Dan Savage, who gives sex advice, and you know all these pro polyamory kind of things. And from all of, if I'm being completely honest, this isn't because I'm a Christian. It just seems to me that polyamory that when it comes to a polyamorous relationship, an open marriage, it seems that like one person is way more into it than the other that one of those people is okay with it just to stay in the relationship. And they feel that they're progressive. They feel that they're forward thinking, but honestly, it just doesn't like, like Emily said, it ruins the relationship on some well, level. And and because, you know, shameless plug here for my book, Scandalous and in our, our Facebook group, Brooke, sorry, our Facebook group for Scandalous, which is a women's only group. I get a lot of women who, Either they wanted to try it, their husbands wanted to try it. Um, usually, honestly, the first three to six months, it seems great. Everything's wonderful. We're talking more. We're communicating more. We're more adventurous, blah, blah, blah. Uh, in less than a year, in less than a year, somebody is unhappy. Somebody's hurt. I, I've yet to see it bear out as a good idea. And um, I've talked to multiple women. I haven't kept numbers because that's not my thing. I can't tell. You're not a statistician. Yeah, I'm not a statistician, and I, I, you know, I don't care. It's not my story to tell, other than I can just say, I've seen people really hurt by this, and I, I think we need to stop acting like it's cool. It, it hurts yeah. people. And you and, know what? I'm sure yeah. that there are relationships where there's like a man with multiple wives, that it works perfectly, and everybody's happy. But that's the rare exception, and it's incredibly rare. And I'm sure that it happens more often, but I think that where it works really, really well is incredibly rare. And I, I just, I, I'm trying to be as open-minded as possible. I'm trying to be as like, well, you know, we live in a fallen world, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But if I'm being completely honest, I don't think it works. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. We live in a fallen world. We're sinful beings. A marriage with two sinful beings is hard enough. You cannot tell me a marriage with three oh, hey, sinful beings. Oh, he had a de Burrow. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, sorry. I Jumping got, ship. <laughs> so, I saw a squirrel. Um, no, it, the percussionist was playing a cajada de Burrow, which if you don't know what that is, that's a, a donkey jaw that's been dried. Um, oh. And... Uh, you hit it and it rattles, or you can scrape it with a scraper and it sounds like kind of like a huero, where you get the kind of sound. So that's for my musician friends out there. But there was a brief shot where I saw in that cajada de burro, it means the jaw of the donkey. And that's literally what it is. It's a donkey jaw that's been dried. I have one here at the house. I say if you watch us on YouTube, you'll see it on the wall. Yeah, it's nice. right above Emily's head. I, I thought he just kept it here for slaying Philistines. Ha! Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Bad Bible joke. Sorry. Yeah, I, I know, appreciate that's... it more. <laughs> Is this Prairie Home Companion? <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> sorry. But I think we went in that realm of jokes there with that. 
had a chance to throw in a Bible joke on a Christian podcast, I could not pass it up. That's fair. So, uh, but uh, back to the topic, my only real um, knowledge of open marriages, I think, is probably like Arrested Development. So that you take that for what it is. <laughs> I think we, I think I if I'm going to talk, we should move on. Y'all go ahead if you want to talk more about that. Uh, I, I mean, love no. the fact that Frida calls America Gringolandia. Gringolandia. Yeah. <laughs> do we know awesome. where that comes from, Gringo? I, have, I, I don't know I've, if there's a one solid etymology, or is that the word for it? I just tried to have use you, Have you looked word. it up? I think I did it wrong. No, but I mean, there's so many different... I mean, my mom told me that it was because the United States was occupying Mexico for a period, and they wore green uniforms, and they called them Green Go, like, you know, because they're wearing green and they're telling them to go. But then other people say that it's like a bastardization of another word, and I there's no real solid... You know. Uh, okay, love oh, here. It's, Sorry, it's Spanish for foreign. Yeah, maybe. Apparently, <laughs> that's that's what Google tells me. Well, it has to be right. Uh, 19th century Spanish, literally foreign, foreigner, or gibberish. Maybe. So kind of like the barbarians with the Greeks. Bar, yeah, bar 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 bar. Okay, I can buy it either way. I love this juxtaposition. I've got to bring us back yeah. to the movie. We got Frida in bed. Diego is being represented as Godzilla. And King Kong. Yeah, I'm sorry, King Kong. Yeah, I don't that's know my. A, that's an important distinction. It is. You'll it get is. drummed right out of this. <laughs> my apologies. I do the proper homage. Okay, King Kong, Diego. But I mean that that's kind of you can see how yes he was on top of the world at this point. He was celebrated. Mr. Communism himself in all by, of his yeah, lush. by the elite. Yes. By the elite capitalist, no less. Precisely. And and so and Frida's just kind of getting drug along for the ride. I mean, she's grateful to go because she was warned by Lupe, Lupe, uh, that the um, if he ever didn't take her, that affairs were getting ready to happen. Yeah, and man, what a, what a uh, slap in the face was it that that he invited her along and then okay so the imagery here the revolving door imagery here is perfect for the the relationship and then you turn this around and it doesn't go into this in the movie but one of the things that uh i think it was art history babes they go into this that frida started sleeping with the models that he slept with to get back at him it was like a revenge thing (laughs) is how she started out with this yeah, Frida, Frida didn't take anything lying down, or maybe she did. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, she actually literally did. <laughs> so, I'm staying out of this one. <laughs> but the, the, the point is, you know, that, yes, he was cheating on her. She was cheating on him. They both knew it. Uh, and it was only really talked about and discussed when another man was in Frida's life. Which we will get to later. Yeah. So we'll put that on hold. But yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing is that they, they were just showing Ed Norton there playing uh, Carnegie. I don't remember which one. Was, was it he supposed to be Carnegie? Is it Carnegie or Ford or one of those Hearst? I, th- I thought it was supposed to be one of those. Ford guys. I thought Carnegie it was could a be. larger it, person than that because Norton is not a large man. 
Yeah. I was like, yeah, I was really confused. I was like, that's not Carnegie. Um, I, get but, them, I get it all wrong. Yeah, I, I get them all confused. Yeah, shout out to Edward Norton here. He wrote the screenplay for this. I don't know if really? you knew that. Yes, yes. No, he's the guy I, who wrote this screenplay. So you want to talk about a talented image, individual. He could play, um, you know, the guy from Fight Club, who by the end of that, who was totally ripped. He was smoochy um, yeah. from death to smoochy, <laughs> which is hilarious. He he can play guitar, um, and he wrote the screenplay. So, um, But if you've ever seen him in an interview, I think it's kind of funny. He acts like he is just completely out of his element. Yeah. Um, every yeah, interview yeah, I've seen him in. But he seems like someone that actually, like, if you're hanging around with him, like, not in front of a camera without a script, he might actually be a cool person to hang out with. Yeah. And again, uh, it depends on who you want to believe, but apparently when he originally played uh, the Hulk, he got, he was pushed out of it because he had so many ideas of his own that conflicted with the Marvel universe that like, you know, and I mean, all those movies, they keep rotating directors in and out because nobody plays along well with Marvel. Sure. And so, he just had so many great ideas for the Incredible Hulk that he he wouldn't stay quiet about it because he had his own vision and they had to replace him because he just wouldn't play ball. You know, I was kind of actually disappointed with him being cast in the Incredible Hulk because I'm kind of like, we almost kind of already did this movie yeah, um, with Fight Club. Um, but you know who, I, and I know I get so much flack for this, you know who I would love to have seen play the Incredible Hulk? Joe, Ooh. you're going to hate this. John Cusack. Huh. Oh my goodness, that would actually work. I think, <laughs> you know, I think he would yeah, have been incredible. That, I don't I don't hate that. <laughs> John Cusack is one of those weird actors who is both endearing and can be completely disturbing at the same time. Yeah. So I can see it. Um yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think it would have had to been younger John Cusack. I haven't seen him recently, but he's one of those actors for some reason I feel like I relate to him, but I can see there's just there was one movie and I can't remember what it is, but there's this one scene in one movie where he's really mad, but the rest of the movie, like you said, he's endearing. Um, mm-hmm. But I was like, I would love to have seen that in The Incredible Hulk. So, um, did he? Did she just announce pregnancy? Is that what we're? I think where that's we're where at? we're at. We got sidetracked. Uh, Sorry, I, you can tell uh, Nathan and I are like we're comic book fans. Nathan more than me, but he mm-hmm. directs my reading, so. Yeah. As far as comics go, she directs a lot of my reading as far as theology goes. So it's it's symbiotic. <laughs> but yes, yeah. I, 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 we're, we're with Frida. She's pregnant. Wow. And now we're waking up with uh, she's hemorrhaging here. And I, 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 I just, okay, as a woman, I have to tell you that that's terrifying. You, yeah. You're you're expecting a baby. Um I've had a miscarriage. I was actually pregnant with twins, and I miscarried one. I miscarried one. Uh, the other one is alive and kicking. Uh, and brilliant. And brilliant. Uh, so I had a little different experience with miscarriage than most women. But for Frida, she had already had several abortions at this point, and they were medically prescribed. Yeah, that's yeah, that's an important uh, thing to, yes. to note, because she did actually say that she wanted to be a mother, but her doctors told her because of all of her injuries, she couldn't carry a baby. So most of the abortions she had, and actually the doctor, it's, it's alleged the doctor who told her she could carry a baby to term in the States did not, told her that because he didn't want to uh, perform an illegal abortion. 
Uh, I did not know that. Because it was still illegal in the States at the time. Yeah. And so, yeah. So she just, for the first time, had her hopes up that she could actually carry a baby and deliver it via cesarean. Um, And here she is drawing a picture of her baby. Um, That takes guts. I I don't care who you are to want to see a baby at that point. uh, When this child would at this point be considered medical waste. And I, I'm sorry, that's just the way it is in our country right now. But even at that time, so for her, she's brave. I, I've got to give it to her just on that point alone. Right. Well, and I mean, and I can say I can't imagine losing a child like when when uh, Mickey and I were pregnant with when Mickey was pregnant with her first child. Uh, they thought there were that there were some serious uh, complications with the pregnancy, and um, they they the indications were so strong that they they told us that hey, this is what's going on. Uh, they thought she had something called trisomy 18, and apparently most children don't live out of the womb more than just a few hours with that. And just hearing that that was a possibility just wrecked me and Mickey for uh, for a couple of weeks until we were able to get, excuse me, to get a follow-up ultrasound to find out that that was not the case. And I tell you, that I can't imagine it being any worse than it was. Um, that was... That was Probably my limit um, when it comes to hearing something and going on with your kid. this child is, she will keep you on your toes now. There's nothing oh wrong with goodness. her. Yeah, I, th- I think what they actually saw, they thought she, they saw some polyps in the brain, which were, they thought were indicative, but. Um, she had extra brain. <laughs> but I think that's what it was. I think it was, I think it was like, you know, they say when you learn something, you get new folds in your brain. I think that was actually the genius fold, the one that shows up early <laughs> is what happened there. So not to be too much of a downer, but I, uh, Frida's work was kind of, it was dark. And I think that's why people liked it, you know, in 1930s, 1940s, uh, where it's, uh, you're moving into kind of that glamorous stage. Uh, you're moving out of the depression. Uh, everything is supposed to be beautiful. And Frida said, hey, there's still a dark side of life. And uh, losing a child is a dark side of life that every woman in every stage of history knows and can identify with. So. And this is her sister. Well, that was she was actually in like with her, she's gone back to, to see her mother because uh-huh. her mother was dying. And her sister there, who evidently her husband has been abusive at this point. Uh, you can see her with a black eye, and Frida is... How did I miss this the last time we watched it? You probably fell asleep. I don't think I fell asleep when we watched it. I, I must have got distracted. Because I made it a point <laughs> to, like, not fall asleep. And I love this, that... Even though her mother was not really in love with her father, her father is out there taking care of the plants to take care of them because he knows that the wife, that, that's an act of love. He knows it would mean something to her. So he was evidently pretty much in love with her. Well, and it's also, uh, you know, it's one of those things that love kind of grows. And I don't know where, where their relationship was at this point. Um, but it was in the documentary watching that her mom, her mom apparently was in love with the young man who committed suicide before her mom met, uh, was it Guillermo? Is that mm-hmm. his name? Um, so, you know, that'll mess with you. Yeah. So here we have, uh, uh, Frida's mom passing away and 
right after she uh, she had the miscarriage. I mean, the the pain that she had to deal with constantly. It's you know, it, it's devastating, and how strong she was to be able to you know to overcome it, to deal with it. I mean. Uh, we, you know, we get bent out of shape if someone cuts us off in traffic or they don't have our favorite pop at the convenience store. And and she's dealing with some real life issues. And on top of this, you know, Diego's having problems here with Rockefeller and the fact that he's presented this this communist based painting or centered painting. And that's their livelihood. So not only is there tragedy on an emotional, very personal level. Now, she is a woman who is dependent on Diego. He's being a stupid idiot. I just edited myself. Thank you very much. Um, he's being a stupid idiot, and he is jeopardizing their livelihood. As a woman, that's like an act of betrayal. And yeah. so, especially at this point in time, when she's dependent on him, uh, there's a scene earlier I didn't comment on, where you can see the scale of Diego's work, the murals, these giant, massive works. And then there's uh, Frida working on this little bitty painting, you know, about 12 inches tall and six inches wide. Well, and that's actually uh, something I, I don't know if they exaggerate the size of her paintings here, but apparently most of her work was done on on 12 by 12 sheets of canvas. Yes. Yeah, th- yeah that's small. what she did. Yeah. Because, again, that, that was her doing her, um, you know, her folk art, uh, you know. Her art that is, you know, representing the lower end of the, uh, you know, the low class of her society. Well, they were so based she did on... a lot. You get, say again? They, they were based on the ex-photos, the, uh, yeah. the, the, the paintings of the saints or someone who had been rescued by a saint through a miraculous event. And the focus very much being on pain and blood and, and, and they still had that same style and size. I'm talking with my hands here, and I don't think it communicates well. Um, but anyway, um, that was the idea that they would reflect this religious iconography, iconography that was very central to the homes of her culture and time. And this, sorry, just a great shot of Edward Norton yeah. in walking in with all of his glory as Rockefeller. And dressed well, Joe, you might. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's very, very nice. Uh, as, as a critic of men's fashion. Yeah, although I don't like, uh, what do you call that, uh, that, that kind of uh, jacket. The, the double-breasted Yeah, the double-breasted, pin, well, double-breasted jackets I don't like, but, you know, they're, they're fine. Who doesn't <laughs> like a double-breasted jacket? I, Joe. Uh, it seems too much of that time. I, I'm more of a modern fit kind of fella. Uh, see, for me, I, this is, I'm dating myself. That just seems classic. So, mm. yeah, I belt for a man in a good suit. So, yeah, I don't know if the, the, the listeners uh, know what's going on here. But uh, so Rockefeller hired Diego Rivera to paint uh, something for his, one of his, uh, his buildings, uh, a mural uh, to represent industry and workers and, you know, uh, you, the uh, you know Detroit and New York and all this, and he because workers are to him are represented by uh, Lenin and Marx and uh, Trotsky. He included mm-hmm. those in the mural, but you know Ro- uh, Rockefeller, of course, is very much against communism, as you know any billionaire Absolutely. would be. Absolutely. 
Right. So they, I gave them an ultimatum, either change it or, you know, or, you know, you'll be, this will be taken away from you. And he chose to have it taken away from him, which is what you were talking about earlier. And you know, Diego, he could have, that small change would have saved their, you know, their financial, uh, you know, security, but right. and, stubborn and just, as he is. Right. And this scene right here, they actually skipped ahead a lot. Apparently during the time after he got fired. He spent the money he was paid to go around New York painting other communist murals. And that's why this scene we're here, where Frida's like, what money? Because he spent it all up. Yeah, and Diego, was, his ego was such that he thought, if I paint this painting of Lenin, then Rockefeller will have to approve of it. And Rockefeller just, he said, no, I don't. I, I can tear it down. It's my building. Well, I mean, it also, I mean, I think there was a part of that, and there was also part of the fact that Diego thought, well, he's already spent the money on it. Surely he's not going to spend the money to have someone else paint it again. And he was wrong. Yeah, well, Diego's all about his arrogance. And by the way, that painting was not completely lost. Diego recreated it in Mexico City, and he actually included Rockefeller in the painting (laughs) in a derogatory light. Oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. And so here's their, their two houses. They... They move back to Mexico. They have two houses side by side. That bridge you saw her walk across, that is actually goes between their two houses. She had a gate on her side. He did not. So, um, she and her was, gate locked. Her, yeah, her gate could lock. Um, yeah, he was not able to, to go into her house. <laughs> I love this scene. Sorry, <laughs> he's chasing the dog out. And anyone who's had a dog of that size has had an encounter like that with the dog of that size. Mine knows better. So, um, but yeah, but yeah, I, th- I thought that's that's kind of an interesting uh, representation of them, and also it was preserved well in the movie. I well, think. and we should note that Frida threw a, basically threw a fit. Take me back home. I'm tired of this place. All the all these gringos with their boring faces, like unbaked rolls. Um, you know, she, that that's a quote. She said she had, they had boring faces like unbaked rolls, though, which is hilarious <laughs> to me. She was not a fan. Now she did like the, the Marx brothers and she liked Laurel who, and Hardy. Who doesn't like well, the yeah, Marx brothers? High art. You're right. Exactly. <laughs> and so, but she was getting very homesick at this point and you know, she'd lost a baby. Uh, Diego was being stupid. Um, she wanted to go back to something familiar, something comfortable. And, she goes back to this place that's designed for her and Diego to live and actually be able to figure out a way to have a marriage that worked despite the fact that Diego couldn't keep it in his pants. So, and here they are and Frida, she evidently loved this sort of thing. Uh, like the shucking the corn, a very domestic, mm-hmm. but which, then there's the monkey. Which Salma Hayek is not good at, by the way. No, she's not. I would have been done with that by now. <laughs> yeah. She's taken way too long. We grew up on a farm. <laughs> yeah, is... so, uh, yeah, well, so, yeah, Selma Hayek is not good at that. But, Selma, but yeah, we I mean, love she... you. Um, we'll apologize the next time you have us all over for dinner. <laughs> but, I mean, like, look, and, and this is something that uh, we we're talking about before. He loved those extravagant parties. He loved, like, you know, really, you know, rich foods and going and hanging out with all these classy people. And he's a communist. She, on the other hand loved her country she loved sitting and like cooking and you know eating tortillas and 
you know, going to these little fiestas and carnivals and stuff. And she, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's strange that he, as an artist or as a communist, you know, did not act like a communist. <laughs> well, and, and I think that's one of the very interesting things is, is it kind of shows you that what a person says isn't nearly as important as what they do. Right. Oh, uh, nudity coming up. I'm not that, you know, I mean, <laughs> you're going to see him you guys anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and th yeah, this is something that really, really devastated. I mean, this is just a step too far that Diego Rivera not only continued to have affairs, but slept with his, with her sister. Well, I think it's very interesting because earlier in the movie, uh, he told her, I can't be faithful. And she was okay with that. But she asked him to be loyal. And, yeah. and so there's this really great distinction between being faithful and being loyal. And, and sleeping with her sister was an act of disloyalty. And now what differentiated that to Frida, we may never know. But I think it's very interesting that, you know, a lot of us can deal with unfaithfulness. But disloyalty, that's a different ball of wax. And we all have our little things that set it apart. Well, I think that, I, I mean, I, and I'm going to take a stab in the dark here, but I think what really differentiated it was the fact that, you know, like we talked about, like the sex worker differential uh, within the, the Israeli culture um, or the Hebrew culture. I mean, because you see that, you see prostitution back in the Bible, even uh, in mm -hmm. certain ways where it's not necessarily frowned on. But I think it's that idea that if it's a sex worker, well, that person could never equal me. But if it's my sibling, then that person actually has a shot of you tried to replace me. Yeah, that makes sense. And on Diego's end, I mean, in this, I keep going back to this, the artist who is like, you know, a scumbag are, there. I, I do find that a lot of people who are creatives are also self-destructive. He could have had any woman he wanted, but he, he did this thing that he knew would completely destroy his relationship with Frida. And I find that with a lot of artists, they are not just bad people. They are also self-destructive. They have to destroy themselves. And I'm, I mean, you know, maybe I'm showing my cards too much. I feel that I have that tendency myself. Art like, I is, feel like, <laughs> yeah, like Art if, is if deconstruction. I, yeah. Like if I feel that if I'm, if, I, if things are going so well for me, I'm going to fail soon. And this is a theory because I don't know why I do this to myself, but I have to destroy myself because I have to create this David and Goliath myth in my head that I didn't fail. I destroyed myself, you know, because <laughs> I'm so afraid of really real failure that I would go that far as to do something stupid to ruin whatever good thing I have going for me. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I get that. I have some of that. A couple things. First off, I want to make clear I'm not endorsing prostitution. No. Um, no. <laughs> and also, um, Frida here, she where she cuts off her hair, they don't really make it in the clear in the movie, but Frida, uh, one of the things Diego loved about her was her hair, her long, beautiful hair. Excuse me. Um, her long, beautiful hair. And so she cut it off as, as a sense of retaliation, um, which actually is kind of a theme when you look at you know, her affairs, uh, with the models and then just, you know, going back to dressing more as a man, uh, and putting and then, inside the native dress mm -hmm. and which then Diego loved and then dressing more in the more traditional 
um, like American style dress. And again, a beautiful picture there. Great shot. Yeah. Again, like uh, she did paint herself. I love after that. She Look at that. Hair. And yeah, like the, the director made this three dimensional painting that looks like a lot like her actual painting. Mm-hmm. And, I, and you know, those photographs, by the way, were taken by Annie Lebowitz. Is that how you say it? Who um, did the famous John Lennon and Yoko Ono paint, uh, pictures. Oh, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. so she was actually the one who did all the photography, the still shots for this this movie. Wow. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So beautiful, beautiful artwork on so many levels. And, and which is great when you're doing artist, it should be done with beautiful artwork. Well, and I've... again, that goes back to what I was talking about with the, you know, just the Royal Tannenbaum's thing. And, and that's part of the reason, that's part of the reason we actually selected this movie was because we wanted to talk about art because you can't do a good movie. It's, if it's not artistic. And so we just wanted to kind of jump in the deep end of art. And, uh, so this, this was the, this was the, I wanted to do a film about an artist, but I didn't want to do like a quote art film, you know, uh, I didn't want us to be guessing at what the plot was, um, as we go through it, but I wanted something that really exemplified a piece of art, both both visually and as a topic. And we get this, you know, the house, the flowers have died, and everything's dark and dreary, and it's just, it's it's dead, and Frida's dead. And so you've got this wonderful symbolism here in, uh, why well, I say Frida's dead, emotionally she's dead. She's not with Diego. She doesn't know who she is apart from him, really. That's reflected in her journals. And so there, there's this, these visual cues all the way along through this movie that tell us exactly where Frida's emotional state of being is. But she still wears the most awesome necklaces. <laughs> um, if, if you've not been looking at the necklaces through this film, go back and watch, especially the one she was wearing in the diner. That thing was killer. Yeah. Uh, let's let me bring this up then. Um and now the movie is going to focus on the more uh, the paintings that are more painful, the more, you know, more dramatic, you know, because now she's suffering more than ever. And so her paintings, like when you see her paintings by, from this period of her life, you feel what she's feeling by looking at these paintings. And I think that that's why I, you know, that's part of why I want to do this movie. that's why I want to do this podcast about movies is that in Christianity, we kind of have this misunderstanding about what film is supposed to do, Uh, which most people like going to movies just to be entertained, but they don't really see film as an art form. And so are all, I mean, do we expect every single piece of art that we see to just make us happy and make us smile? Sometimes it has to reflect the sadness, the disgustingness of the human life, the perverse, the ugly, the violentness that we have inside. There and I is. Think that, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I no. No, no I was this, done. Okay. Well, there, there's this. There's a school of thought that basically, if art doesn't have a little dirt in it, then it's not high art. If it's mm-hmm. all rainbows and butterflies and beautiful and makes you feel good. Then you're talking about kitsch and kitsch actually <laughs> operates on the same parts of the brain that pornography does. And we as Christians, we're, we're huge consumers of kitsch, uh, whether it's precious moments, Thomas Kincaid, 
all the pretty things that we like to have, but we are not very good at appreciating what we call high art. And so we need to stop being afraid of that little bit of dirt in there, because if you read the Bible, it's not all happiness and amazing, beautiful stories. It, it, there's a lot of dirt, a lot of dirt. And I, I think sometimes as Christians, we forget that if we aren't reflecting the reality of the human condition, then we aren't reflecting anything that God needs to redeem. We don't need a God in a perfect world, even if it's just portrayed by, by art. We need a God when things are bad, when things are broken, when things are hurting us, and when death is a reality. And Frida exemplifies this. Would it be like Jesus saying, I didn't come for the well, but for the sick kind of thing? Yeah. Well, you know, as artists, sometimes we, we get criticized for, for focusing on the, the bad things, uh, and we get criticized for daring to, to go to those dark places. But where did Jesus go himself? He went to the dark places, whether it was the prostitute washing his feet, the tax collectors, or the very grave itself. He was willing to go there, and he redeemed those because his presence was there. And so I think we as artists need to be able to go there. I got a little impassioned because I'm really big on this topic. And uh, I, I think artists have an obligation to stop ripping off the artistic world and logos and hallmarks or whatever of, of the world and actually start getting real. Right. So. Well, and, and the other thing I think we. And I, I this is going to sound really bad, but I think we put such a high priority on on preaching um, that the, we think the only thing of value is is the bullhorn. Mm. And so whenever we put together art, we put it together like this bullhorn of like, here is my message. And the only thing you're going to see is my message because my message, 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 and there's not any real life to it. And so that's, that's something that I've kind of been, been, been pondering because we need to be effective communicators. And if we, if we only have the bullhorn we're not able to hear the questions people are asking. And that's where a lot of Christian art, I feel, falls really short. Well, in, in my master's thesis, I draw a comparison between Bezalel, who was the artist of the tabernacle, and Jeremiah, who was the prophet of the exile. And one of the main things in there is the fact that the two of them were able to take things that were known and take a very real hurt and a very real uh, situation and time and present them in a way that everybody could relate to. And they were not devoid of ugly. Uh, the tabernacle, while glorious, was the place where thousands, if not millions, of animals were killed. Gallons upon gallons of blood were spilled. So, so it was glorious, but at the same time, there was the some dirt. horrific... I mean, not not dirt. I mean, you kept the you yeah. kept those animals clean. You're going to eat them later. Wow. But there was some horrific, uh, uh, gruesome. Uh, I said gore. Yes. Uh, in the presence as well. Right. And so then you've got Jeremiah with the, with the exile. So, um, and in ancient cultures, the artist and the prophet, and so Bezalel, the artist of the tabernacle, Jeremiah, the prophet of the exile, they inhabited the same role because they gave a glimpse of what could be. And they gave a way for people to meet with God. And you met with God either because he decided to come down to you 
or you approached him with a question. And so art needs to be able to ask real questions. That's where I was going with that. And so we need to be able to ask real questions. And so Frida asks real questions in her work. And I think that's why people love her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think in film, uh, we, number one, I think in Christianity, we expect people who are not Christian to have the same morals and the same point of view as us. And we get angry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. No, I got distracted, Joe. What were you saying? No, uh, that uh, we expect the world to act like us and to have the same morals that we do and to do what we do. And when they mm-hmm. they don't, we're very disappointed in the world and we're angry at people who don't do it. And so, for example, for uh, let's take an, a movie that I don't think many Christians like, but Boogie Nights. It's a movie about pornography, the porn industry in the 70s. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. Because it's not about pornography and it doesn't glorify pornography. It it's about family and being lost and not having a place in this world. And so, like, should we make should people make a movie about pornography? I think that Roger Ebert would say it's not what the movie's about; it's how it's about it. And that's what's important. That's right. You can make a movie about anything. It's just how are you going to do it, and so that's uh, that's it. that's how I see it. You know, yes, you can make a, a a movie about porn and it being just gross and disgusting and you know just exploitative, or you can make a work of art about the porn industry of the seventies. That's the and, difference between an artist and and anyone else. Yeah. is an artist can present it in such a way that there is beauty and there is a redemptive quality without denying yeah you, you could the take pain. some yeah you could take something that is that is incredibly gruesome and show where where there's the message you can take you can sh- it's basically you can show someone something behind the scenes um without them knowing what they're seeing right and and again not everything is for everybody you know, you don't have to see Boogie Nights because it, it's not for you. If you can't handle it, and that's fine if you can't, you know, it, it, so don't see it. And Right, and that's, that's where I was when I was like that. Can't. Yeah, yeah so, that's why I was like, that looks a little too salacious for me, so I'm going to pass. Right. Well, and, you know, it's, a, it's the principle of you don't have an alcoholic going to witness in a bar. I could go and witness in a bar. No big deal. No problem. Wouldn't think twice about it, but it's not a weakness for me. It's not a temptation for me. And, and so it's, it's that kind of principle. And so if it's a temptation for you, then yes, flee from it, stay away from it. If it's something that you can use as a tool to help you either learn how to speak to your audience better, to understand different segments of the population at a deeper, deeper level, embrace it but that's where we've got to have wisdom and discernment as christians and we can't just make these blanket statements of oh don't watch frida there's nudity in it there's language in it uh this is a lot of history this is her life and it's pretty close to what her life was and there's something to appreciate in that and so yeah. do we do we do we back away from it because there's something offensive well, and even even farther then, uh, from just don't see the movie, don't look at her artwork. But really, the nudity that's involved in her artwork, most of it, if you look at it, like uh, the the one work of hers that I think is beautiful, it's called, and they actually show it later. It's called the fractured column, and um, where it oh, shows yeah. her where she's in 
those 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 restraints to try to straighten her spine back out. I mean, if you look at that and you think that's a sexual piece of imagery, you are uh, wrong. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, that's not at all what that piece is about. Yeah, because oh, it's and... not it's not meant to be sexual or it, it's just her bare and broken. Mm-hmm. Well, and that brings us to the question: What is the difference between nudity for art's sakes and what is nudity for pornography? And you know, I think there's some scenes in this film that cross the line almost into to the porno- pornographic realm. Right, right, right. Uh, in Frida's work, it's not there. In Frida's work, it's definitely art. I, well, I say, I will say there. There is, there is, uh, there are a couple pieces that kind of ride that line. I will, I will say that. Um, but for the most part, a lot of it does depict so much suffering. Um, because I want to say it's like a tryst in the woods or something is the title of it. Um, I'm not familiar with that one. And, and, uh, where it's, it's, uh, two women. Um, but that one is more sexual. Are you looking it up? On yeah, your... I'm looking okay. it up. But that, that one is more sexual. Um, but, when you get into, you know, like I said, stuff like the broken column or the one where it's like my birth, um, those things where you're like, um, that's, you know, if you're, if you're thinking terrible thoughts, um, based on those pieces, please reassess your life. Well, I I had struggled for years with, um, what was the difference between art and pornography? And because my ex-husband, uh, if you read Scandalous, you'll get to hear more of that story. Um, he was addicted to pornography. So this is a question for me. What's the difference between art and pornography? Because as an artist, nudity is not bad. It's actually something to be celebrated. And it's sometimes utilized um, to portray an image devoid of the the clutter of clothes or the implication that clothing might have. And I think a really good uh, way to define this is what's when does it become a tool? Good art is not a tool. And so pornography is a tool. And, and anybody who uses pornography right. is yeah, using exactly. it for a purpose. Now, art is definitely useful, but it's useful in a very emotional, esoteric kind of way, uh, more of an abstraction. There's not a definite measurable outcome and I'm choosing my words very carefully (laughs) so for me Frida's work when you look at the broken column it's definitely it it was never meant to be a tool uh, in the sense that you could use it to accomplish something so uh, however Nathan just showed me a picture of Trist in the Woods Um, possibly (laughs) <laughs> it's a little but bit more salacious. It's yeah, it's speculated that she wrote that when she was dating uh the the Mexican uh actress um who uh, who apparently just walked around naked in her house um and her students reported on that like they would be overdoing their art lessons um and they'd be like, "Oh, well there is well and we just lost everyone's attention." You know. So there's uh, that. Back to the movie. We're back with Trotsky, uh, yeah. has moved in with him. Uh, he's had to flee Russia. And he and Frida have started having this very intellectual connection. And I think it's very interesting that you do see it for her move. 
from the intellectual to the physical with him. And we haven't seen that in the movie with anybody else. It, it's been more revenge. And so she might be getting a little bit of a clue that somebody other than Diego might be able to excite her mind. Now, I hadn't picked up on that part before. That That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, this reminds me of that. Well, the whole idea that, you know, uh, Mexico is in love with the idea of communism because it's the idea of the people's revolution. The people are now in charge and the people are now the government as opposed to the, you know, the oppressive, you know, uh, dictators. And we see that in the Soviet Union, the people took over and they became the dictators. And was something that really blew my mind was when I was young and I was so, you know, into the idea of socialism and communism and anarchism. And then I read um, uh, Animal Farm which was mm-hmm. George Orwell, who was excited about the people's revolution in the Soviet Union, went to look at it and was so disillusioned mm-hmm. about what happened. This is what happens when people take over, when people are given power. We have the right to be oppressive because we're the good guys. We right. are the ones who are, and that keeps happening. You know, and and that's, you know, that's what's happening here is that Trotsky is like, you know, now, you know, he saw what was happening in Russia and had to flee it because Stalin wanted to kill him because Mm -hmm. Trotsky still believed in the real people's revolution. But that that it just it never seems to work out when when we think that we're going to do better when we're in charge. Right. What I think is so interesting about this kind of interaction is, for the first time, Frida's the other woman. She sees what her action, her self-serving action, cost Trotsky's wife. And so I think it's really interesting that, that she's having to examine herself, that it can't just be about her pleasure and her desires that it actually does impact someone else. And she's beginning to realize Diego's not the man that she thought he was. Right. And I also find it really interesting that uh, Frida had uh, actually, they don't talk about it in the movies any, but apparently she had had affairs with other men before, but it was Trotsky was the one that made Diego mad. And I think that goes back to what you were saying earlier, where it's, it, it starts with an intellectual thing and it's not just a revenge thing um, and not just uh, not just something that starts on the other end of the intellect um, but or the body but it it um, it was something that Diego kind of saw as a threat to his grandeur in Frida's eyes now they don't actually out this person here on the screen as Josephine Baker but Josephine Baker and Frida did have an affair. And so there's just this kind of little nod to it here in the movie uh, without being too explicit, uh, which I actually kind of appreciated that, hey, there, there's these two strong women. They've both been done wrong by men. Um, they they did have this hookup uh, for um, however yeah. long. Nudity coming up. Right. Nudity coming up. And yeah, they hadn't. Uh, yeah. And, and, but at the same time, 
I, I think there's a little bit of sympathy towards them as both women who had to, um, women who had to make their way in a man's world and both had to be very strong in order to do it. And how do you manifest that strength of being male without being a pig, without just exercising that, that strength of sexuality? And I think that's what they were still kind of working out. Uh, I'm not saying I'm condoning it. I'm just, I'm just saying this is, these are questions I'm sure they had to face because one of the, the, the stereotypes or the tropes of being male at this point in time was being able, married or not, to sleep with whomever you wished. And here's Frida for the first time and Josephine Baker and uh, George O'Keefe, um, women who were saying, hey, we're going to do the same thing the men's are, men are doing. So this is, this is huge and this is powerful. Uh, right or wrong, it's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. It's well, I know I'm finding it funny that uh, Frida went to Paris, the hub of art, and oh, there's an, a murder attempt uh, of Trotsky's life. And this is what we were talking about earlier. That you know, uh, yeah, Frida's affair has consequences. And Trotsky was almost killed there and eventually will be taken. But uh, what I was saying is that um, Frida's in Paris and she's not happy. She's bored. She gets to hang out with all these intellectuals and all these painters. Apparently, uh, you know, honestly, her peers and she's not happy because she's much happier, you know, being at home with the people. She she said she'd rather be. Like in a, in a plaza selling tortillas, sitting on the ground. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's where she's truly happy. You know, she's she's not she's not meant for the art world, even though she's she's intellectually and talent wise equal to all those amazing artists. Well, I don't think it wasn't so much meant for the art world. I think it was that she was just so in love with with Mexico and Mexico City. I mean, yeah, maybe, the, the yeah. fact that the fact that she lied about the year of her birth, not because she wanted to look younger, but because she wanted to uh, present the image that uh, somehow her birth was connected with the Mexican Revolution. Yeah. I mean, that's how in love with with Mexico she was, uh, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Which, again, that, that, that juxtaposition, Diego Rivera, very much a Mexican painter and representing the people, but loved... He actually loved that, the high art, the high culture and, mm-hmm. you know, the parties and hanging out with all those artists. You know, it's it's strange. And, and she did hang out with some very high artists. Uh, there's some, uh, even in some of her paintings, there's um, images of her wearing earrings that are a hand. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I carried through. I'm sorry. I'm va- battling allergies. Uh, she's wearing hand earrings. And those were a gift from Picasso himself. So she was with the elite of the elite. She was not yeah. uh, someone who was just touring France and trying to kill time. She was hanging out with the, the big names and people who were really shaping the art world. And we actually discussed this the other night uh, off mic um, that she she uses these images from traditional Mexican artwork. And at the same time, Picasso is going back to the African mask to draw his inspiration. 
And so even though she didn't consider herself a surrealist, she was very much following in the pattern of art of her day. And she was not uninformed about what was going on. Uh, this painting here that's that's coming up, uh, I believe. Is it the two Fridas? I believe it's the two Fridas. Mm-hmm. And it's the Frida as she saw herself. And it's the Frida that Diego loved. And she recognized that the two Fridas were not the same. That there was a distinction in who, how she perceived herself and in how Diego wanted her to be. And I, I think we can... And I, I just pulled that uh, that pulled the picture up on my phone. I'm sorry, but they did a great job on recreating that for the movie. Well, yeah. and I think anyone who's ever been in a strained relationship... I think you can kind of understand that. You can kind of identify there's the person that your partner wants you to be. And then there's the person you really are. And there, there it is again. And there's aspects of it that are the same, but then there's aspects that are so totally different. That's actually the painting. I think before Mm -hmm. was actually like the uh, Selma Hayek and Selma Hayek kind of painted up like that earlier picture. Well, it's interesting. They they released a biography of Frida after this movie, and instead of putting a picture of Frida on the cover, they put a picture of Selma <laughs> Hayek. Oh no! <laughs> so yeah, that's that's kind of funny. I didn't realize that. That's um, yeah, it's kind of like the postage stamp for a while that had the the picture of the Statue of Liberty, and it, it come to find out it was actually a picture of the Statue of Liberty replica that was in Las Vegas. That oh, no. made it onto the postage stamp. So, it's lit better out there. <laughs> yeah, it, it is actually, and yeah, you get clearer skies. Um, there's not, you know, it's not as worn. It's the newer Liberty. <laughs> I have so many bad jokes just partially, partially formed <laughs> in my brain. Uh, not well enough to share. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Okay. So we're back to Frida and her, her sister and they've reconciled because this was her favorite sister that had had the affair with Diego and oh my goodness. Wait, was that when Frida was in jail? That was when Frida was in jail. Yeah. Apparently they called Diego at the time and he rushed, they didn't show it in the movie, but he apparently rushed back from, from California. He was not okay with that. He called the president of Mexico and was like, what is going on? And so interesting. Yeah. So it's her sister who comes in to actually save the day. And now we're dealing with gangrene. In yeah, her so toes. Now, yeah. So now she, she has to wear a back brace to straighten her back, uh, yeah. which is incredibly painful. And now the doctor realizes that her foot has gangrene and has to be, her leg has to be removed. And I think this is the painting that you were nudity coming up. Uh, this is the painting that you were referencing, the broken columns that was recreated amazingly here. And is that, it's not that's just, just yeah. incredible. Yeah. I mean, she has the, the brace, the broken columns and all over her body, there are these nails that she painted because of the pain that she's under. And again, it, that, that's, what's kind of incredible about her is how you can literally feel what she's feeling by by looking at her paintings. Yeah, it, no, it's a gorgeous painting. I and 
they did such a great job of capturing the essence of it. Mm -hmm. Well, and I mean, it's, I can't imagine, I mean, just, I mean, and, and Frida herself did a great job of capturing the essence. Like, and I think, Joe, this is what you were talking about. There's the little nails just all over her body that, because, I mean, when you have that kind of nerve damage, you have that, it's, from what I understand, I, I've not had that, but it's not just where the nerve is severed, but you feel pains all, all over your body and yeah. just the extent of her injuries. Now, just to be controversial, I'm going to toss this out there. There is the theory that she suffered from Munchausen syndrome. That, that she actually got something out of being the invalid and being the center of attention with all these medical crises because she developed these really weirdly intimate relationships with her doctors. And she would write to them these, these almost like she was writing to a God type letters, uh-huh. explaining to her, you know, proclaiming their power to, to heal her. And of course, she interesting. Just, yeah, of course, she just kept uh, powering down. But I kind of get it, too, because uh, Nathan and I grew up with a sister who has some major medical problems. And we were basically told if it doesn't require major surgery, it's not that important. Right. And so, well, and, and, as, and as, part of, as part of her aftercare, too, mom was told, like, don't, you know, don't wait on her. If, if she can do it for herself, let her do it because she will get used to, to that kind of thing. But I could see that with like, like when you mentioned that, I forget you mentioned that the other day when we were talking, but, um, you know, I could see that because she did have the polio when she was younger. Um, so that would have been a time when she would have gotten some extra attention than all of the aftercare because, um, you know, that's something, um, polio can leave parts of your body, um, not fully functioning for the rest of your life. Yeah, and they said that she really, like, uh, she held court, basically, uh, from her bed, even the hospitals, and she hated to be alone. She would, like, liven up people, wanted people to come visit her, see her lying in the bed, see her um, presenting all of these great ideas from her hospital bed. And so there's kind of this conflicting uh, mythology about her, whether or not this was her being brave and, oh, I'm not an invalid and standing up and refusing to be defined by her illness or whether it was her being glorified in the midst of her illness. So, Or was she just kind of a, a narcissistic artist personality and her uh, infirmity <laughs> was either a help or a hindrance depending on uh, the situation and which one suited her best? Well, the bulk of her paintings were self-portrait so you know read into that what you will i mean that's i i'm sorry i i'm just talking off the top of my head here and so now we're addicted to morphine i mean frida is in the movie addicted to morphine we're not (laughs) um i should clarify well not that you know no i'm kidding (laughs) so at this point in time, what did you do with massive pain? And she had had what? I forget how many surgeries she had at this point. She had double-digit surgeries at this point in her life. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are, that many surgeries, you're going to be in pain. Right. And and also, we're talking about this year. She was, she's probably in like her early 40s at this point. 
uh, early and, mid 40s in early 40s so we're talking 1950s medicine 1953 was what the journal just said okay so 1950s medicine and and before i mean you know given what we know of 1970s 1980s uh, medical practice in the united states i mean you're talking about some some stuff some really arcane measures in some areas I got to point this out. I love this line. She said, I think all the Frida in me has disappeared. Uh, And whether that's due to the pain or the surgeries or or the the morphine, morphine, I, you know, I I think there's something in that that's beautiful. I mean, who of us has not run into situations and trials where we don't just go, I think something fundamental about me has disappeared because of what I've endured. And again, that universal message of Frida's work that, that we all kind of relate to. Yeah. And I think the, them fighting over the leg here, um, is just sums up, uh, how much that he cared about her. The fact that even though it was something she wanted to do, he, you know, because we have people in our lives that when they care about us, they tend to steer us in what they think is the safest direction. And regardless of the fact that, you know, he messed around a lot, I think there was a part of him that did care about her, even though you can, I mean, you can chalk it up to everyone, you know, bad discipline uh, that he couldn't stay faithful or he was just a I low think life. But he I think he was there, a I think, jerk. I think he was a jerk, but I think there was a part of him. A jerk can care about a person in a way that is unconventional and is it good? No. Is it perfect? No. But I think there was that that yeah, some but... element of him that he. That At the did. end of the day, she wasn't just another one of his like you know affairs. He right. I'm not trying to justify. Dang it, Joe! Quit making points. I'm not trying to justify <laughs> that he was a jerk. Anyone yeah. who watches this movie, anyone who reads about Diego, knows he was a jerk. Well, because here's where I kind of come at. Because here he is. He's making this this speech. And then they bring her in, and he loses the spotlight. And so I think he wanted her to stay at home so that he could keep the spotlight. I I, I may be a little cynical. No, maybe. I, I get yeah. it. I mean, look. Uh, <laughs> no, you, many, you may uh, be Scott, right. Go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. No, I cut you well, off. Well, Scott Fitzgerald and Zelda Fitzgerald, some would argue she was a much better writer, and he had her locked up in a mental institution. I mean, this isn't a unique case if that happens to be the, you know, the, you know, the situation. Well, and here's the thing. If you say Diego Rivera in a crowded room today, nine times out of 10, most people won't know who you're talking about. Say Mm -hmm. Frida Kahlo. They know her name. And they were in the same movie. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Sorry, that was Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, look, he he was this much bigger artist at the time, much bigger. But who are they making the movie about? Exactly. Today, you know, I mean, yeah, he that's, was that... a, a, a you know head and shoulders above her. Yeah, but that's a, her but... art in, endured. Sorry. <laughs> like, so no, that's but... exactly Emily's point. Was that he at the time? He was the one who was celebrated. He was the one who was flown all over the world. I mean, she she did get some openings, and she did finally get her opening in her hometown, which is what she always wanted. Which that's what this is about, that's, the scene. That's the scene we're in. But at the time, he was the one who was getting the big commissions. He paid most of her bills. Um, he paid off the mortgage to her father's house, um, which is part of why they got married. 
But that's, that's the difference. That right there, that's the difference. He was a commercial success. She was an artistic success. Yeah. And that's the reason why Diego's paintings, uh, like the calla lilies and the peasant worker, are so much easier on the eye. They are a commercial endeavor. Mm-hmm. Frida's were never meant to be commercial. They were always high art, even if they used the means of low art to communicate that distinction or the message that she had. So, anyway. I mean... That's true. And he painted at, at in the United States, and uh, like you know, I think he has one of his murals in in Detroit. And yes, which is still you can go see. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, in in Detroit, apparently he he painted that the Ford Motor Company uh, some murals there in their old factory, which the old factory is now a museum because those murals were there. Right. And so, again, they're beautiful to look at, and you know that they, they don't convey sadness or you know pain. And the, again, yeah, they're, his paintings are much more, like you said, easy to look at. They're overwhelming. And, you know, hers are heartbreaking and, you know, well, it, gut-wrenching and, uh, you know, beautiful about, you know, above all else. Well, and it's, it's one of those things, he, he, was, he was trying to, to portray this communist image. So he was, he was trying to portray the oppression of the worker, but still make it appealing like the like the worker was was a hero and i'm not saying jobs aren't important i'm not saying that um you know i'm not saying that that the workers aren't important but he was trying to make the worker look like the superhero while trying to portray the oppression of the of capitalism and the system and things like that where frida was not trying to play these these tropes into an image she was just showing raw image right. of i hurt yeah. And this is my life. And and so that's that's a big difference. I think what's interesting is they totally left out the part where Frida was taking art students to support her existence. And because there's this great quote about by one of her students that when things would kind of get, you know, boring or whatever, she would tell her art students that now it was time to go well. They would go to a little chapel around the <laughs> corner, and there was this image of Jesus, and she would say, now it's time to go see the sadistic Christ. <laughs> and so she she was still, uh, even though she wasn't religious at this point in time, she was still, there was something in her heritage of faith that appealed to her. And even if it was to look at the blood and the gore, it, she she still wanted that. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something very tragic in that we never really get a feeling for whether or not she made peace with God. Uh, Diego wrote his his novel or his autobiography or biography of Frida after her death, probably in an attempt to pay bills because his popularity was fading. Um, but Frida, Frida was a very spiritual person, and she spoke yeah. spiritual truths. That Whether I think she was all religious get. or not, yeah, exactly. So, I I think it's a beautiful movie. I I, I know there's too much of one life to put into a movie because she lived big. Um, uh, but I think this is a movie worth consideration, and and consideration of where faith and art intersect. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like again, uh, six Academy Award nominations, and it won Best Makeup and Best Music. And I mean, 
just that, that's what was this movie just seemed like a dream it seemed so gorgeous and surrealist and and you know i i don't know it it, it really was it, it should be remembered i i don't think it's a lot of people really remember it i mean off the top of their heads but well, it has to be one of the one of the best she ever made when that nathan, she was ever in when nathan and i began discussing movies and i flippantly or maybe he flippantly one of us flippantly threw out Frida. And then it was just like, that's it. That's the one we need to kick off commentarians with because it has all of these really deep themes that are controversial. But you know what? Life is controversial. If you're really yeah. living, you're embroiled in some kind of controversy. And we need to figure <laughs> out how to navigate those kinds of controversies. Mm -hmm. And movies can help us do that. So... That that's my two cents. Yeah, but yeah, and, and one thing to say about this, like Joe, you're talking about this movie needs to be remembered. And one of the things we talked about earlier on was like, you know, it is rated R. There is some nudity in it. Um, but one of the things that you know, I remember when Emily and I watched it last time, I did not remember like the rest of the movie stuck out to me so much. Yeah, that I did. I forgot how much nudity was in this movie, and I'm just going, oh my goodness, I forgot about that. <laughs> um, and, and so I think it's terrible that there are people that like, that's the only thing that they remember is that tells us more about them than us. Uh, that's possible. <laughs> um, but you know, and, and a point that, that I, I forgot to mention earlier when we were talking about the, you know, like the, the broken column thing, um, you know, there's, there's areas of the world, uh, you know, undeveloped areas of the world that, you know, women don't wear any tops. And it's not considered a crazy sexual thing. Right. And so it's not, I, I, it's just kind of how we view nudity. And I do think we are a little repressed in that. I'm not saying everyone just needs to run around naked, but um, <laughs> because there are many people in the world that I don't want to see naked. Um, but, you know, I think we need to just kind of loosen up a little bit about it. Um, that, you know, it's not always, it's not always for you. And it's kind of a selfish thing to assume that because someone's naked, <laughs> yeah. they're naked for you to enjoy. That's a really good point. I had never yeah. thought of. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I so, think that's sorry. what women, no, no, but I, I didn't think expect that's what Emily cracked up on that. Sorry. <laughs> no, but that's what the argument that women make when they wear tops, like shirts with, uh, you know, a little cleavage showing or short skirts or whatever. It's not for the enjoyment of, of, uh, you know, of an audience. Yeah. See, and I don't, I, it's funny because I'm the woman. I don't totally buy that. I yeah, think I every know. woman gets <laughs> dressed with an agenda. And this has been an ongoing topic in our scandalous discussion group on Facebook. Um, yeah, we get, we get dressed because we're trying to present ourselves well, but let's not get lost. Well, and in I that. think, well, and that's the thing. It is a culture. Well, and that's where we go back to a cultural thing. You know, if you, if you're in a culture that maybe you don't wear as many clothes when you're just casual, you know, say you just wear a skirt when you're casual, but when you're ready to impress you, maybe you put on some necklaces and doll yourself up a little bit, uh, per that society's norm. So um, that being said, um, 
Looks like we're back to the Miramax logo. We've come full circle. Yeah. <laughs> we can continue this conversation at the Commentarians Facebook page, where yeah. we hope that you join us and and offer your two cents on Frida or whatever movie we are discussing at the moment. Yep. And Joe, tell people where they can find us. You can find us on uh, Facebook.com slash The Commentarians. You can find us on Twitter at Twitter.com slash The Comments Pod. And you can find us on Instagram at Commentarians Pod on, yeah, on Instagram. And um, yeah, uh, we are now, uh, like as we mentioned before, uh, a, family, a member of the Raven Creek Social Club family. We're glad to have you. We are glad you're here. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. And where can we find you guys? Uh, Raven Creek Social Club uh, is at ravencreeksc.com. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, it's all Raven Creek SC. That's SC as in social club, mm-hmm. in case anyone was confused. Um, and there you can uh, give us uh, comments and questions. And the addresses Joe gave you before is where you can send complaints and threats <laughs> um no <laughs> totally kidding um we want to hear uh what you have to say um if there are threats we will call the police but uh complaints we will listen to and address or disregard as uh needed yeah again this is the comments this isn't just our comments this is your comments you guys are commentarians as well so please send them our way yep we hope you enjoyed uh what we had to say and we even more so Hope you enjoyed the movie, and even more than that, we hope you enjoyed the the life and the art of Frida Kahlo. Yeah, absolutely. So, but not not Diego, Frida not specifically. Diego. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anything else? I think that's great. Um, um, until next time, I guess. Yeah, until next time, guys. Uh, the balcony is closed. the 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 movies, the the movies are the tickets are. The movie's over. I, you don't I have don't to. to I you don't, don't have to go to home, but you can't stay here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Commentarians podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to support our show, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com/slash/thecommentarians. Thank you for listening, and until next time, remember, movies are a reflection of our lives and of other people's lives, and we get to experience them together. Come back to the movies with us. We love sharing them with you.